And we are back. Don't call it a book club. My name's Luke. My name's Dan. This is going to be our final episode for Game of Thrones, the first book in A Song of Ice and Fire series. First, as is customary with our episodes, we've got, I've got a rant before we jump into the book, but it is not related to Game of Thrones (laughs) or really books in general. So I'm going to Italy for a couple weeks. And whenever I tell people that, people get people think that's super cool, right? Because like obviously it's a cool trip. Wow, yeah, okay. But everyone not to brag, but everyone <laughs> says like something along the lines of Eat some pizza. <laughs> well, that too. Or they say something along the lines of like, dang, I wish I could go to Italy. Here's my rant. You can. Yeah. Okay, this is my instant reaction to them saying that. Is it's yeah. like like, this is a decision I've made. Like, I'm making the decision to spend my money on a trip to Italy. Like, you have money, too. You can go to Italy. <laughs> what do you say to people when, when they say that to you? I mean, usually I'm nice about it. I'm just like, yeah, I'm pretty excited about it or something like that. Right. So that's what you should say. And that's what, as you have said to people. But what do you want to say to people when they say that to you? I mean, that's like, my. I want to say, like, you can. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, okay, here's, so I was at work a little while ago. And I was in this meeting and like they were asking me where I was going for vacation because like me being gone for two weeks is kind of a big deal. And they like one of the like directors of my department, when, when I said I was going to Italy, he said that he was like, dang, I wish I could go to Italy. And it was like, dude, <laughs> you make so much more money than I do. <laughs> you could so easily do this trip. Oh, you know what? It, I just realized, Luke, you should be uh, probably a little bit offended. Oh, no. They're saying, dang, I wish I could go to Italy because what they have to do. It's not that they don't have the money. It's that they don't have the time because they're needed so much here. It's because it's they can't go because what they do is so essential that they can't take time off to go to Italy. And so when they say that to you, you should be... You should turn around and say, what, you think you're better than me? <laughs> like they're saying, dang, I wish I was as, as replaceable as you so that yeah. I could take trips. Yeah. <laughs> that's fair. That, that might actually be part of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, that's, uh, that's something that I just wanted to, to rant about. I know it's not book related, but... That actually uh, kind of reminds me of something that I have to encounter a lot when I tell people what I do. I'm a chemistry graduate student, and whenever I tell people that I study chemistry, what's and and Luke, you studied chemistry too, right? So the first thing that people say to you when you say you studied chemistry is, "Wow, you must be really smart." I I yeah. was no, I hated chemistry, or I was never good at chemistry. Every single time, yeah. And, and it's like, okay, I don't know how to respond to you. On the one hand, if they say, wow, you must be really smart, I was never good at chemistry, you can't say, yeah, I guess I'm just smarter than you. Right, yeah, you can't say that. You can't. So you have to come up with something to say that's like, oh, no, it's just I really enjoy it, or oh, no, I just like it a lot. And then it's like, great. (laughs) Or if they say they hated chemistry, it's like, well, I don't. (laughs) Yeah, like I I I think it's cool. (laughs) My move is always to, like, say how bad I am at something else. Yeah. That's my move. I guess, but it's like, what? I don't know. No, There's no other. I would argue maybe physics or math. Like, chemistry, physics, and math get this reaction the most. Yeah. And it's stupid because, like, like people that are good at, like, writing and stuff are equally, like, gifted in that area. Right. Like, right. And you don't have to be smart to study chemistry. You just have to study chemistry. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, you just have to choose to spend your time. Right, it's just a choice. Like, we've chosen chemistry. It's, and that's why it reminded me of the Italy thing so much, because it was like, no, like, you could, you just have to study it. It's a choice. You didn't want to do chemistry. That's fine. But I, I did. So, <laughs> so I did chemistry. Yeah. And it's also unfair because, like, I'm sure... The jobs that other people do, I would find very difficult if I was just thrown into them. Exactly. Like, yeah. I'm sure marketing is super complex and difficult, but I don't respond to somebody who says they do marketing with, 
oh wow you must be really smart i hated marketing was, <laughs> I, it's just like it's an awful way to like respond to somebody telling you what they do or and like i get the other response that it's like they're saying you're smart because you're studying chemistry but also like that makes me uncomfortable that you just call me smart because of my job. I know a lot of chemists that I would not call smart. So please don't just please don't immediately call all chemists smart because you're you're doing a disservice to smart. people. <laughs> Fair enough. I feel like I'm kind of roasting chemists a little bit. <laughs> yeah, we went the wrong way on this. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, chemists are cool, too. It, your job doesn't make you smart. OK, that's the main the main takeaway here. Right. OK. Last episode, we left off at chapter 60, I believe. That's right. And so we had a little bit less than 20 chapters to finish the book. I think it was 17. And so, yeah, we, we left chapter 60 and finished out the book. And we we gave a little recap in chapter 60 because this book is a little bit longer and there's a lot of complex storylines that we're going through. But if you listen to the beginning of the last episode or if you're reading along with us, you know exactly what's going on. But the ending of Game of Thrones is wild. There are so many things that happen in the last 10 chapters that are Westeros shattering that just right. completely like tip it on its head. Is there one in particular that you want to you wanna start with, Luke? Um, yeah, I don't know if we, how much of this, this might overlap a little bit with some of what we talked about last week. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to talk about so when Rob is marching down and wants to cross the river, the deal that he has to cut with <laughs> Walter Frey is bananas. For him to be able to cross the river that his like ally owns, he has to do he has to, a couple small things like take a squire and stuff like that. And then he has to marry someone. And then Arya has to marry someone. Two? You get two <laughs> people to let them cross the river? No. <laughs> like, I understand that he has a super strong, like, bargaining position. Yeah. Because, like, they can't cross the river without him. Right. But still. <laughs> like, how have they commanded that river for, I don't know, what is it, 600 years or something like that? A very long time, yeah. And no one has done something about it when they have to pay that kind of price every time they cross it. I mean, obviously not every time, but like every time it's super important, like they can just charge that kind of thing. I was actually uh, about to say that I thought, I think Walder Frey is super dope. Uh, <laughs> this is a hot take. Walder Frey is super cool. I think he is just like incredible. I don't understand how the Freys aren't higher up in Westeros politics. Because Walder Frey doesn't take shit from anybody. Right. He has a ton of, like, extended family, so he has all these connections to all the other families in Westeros. And he is, like, in possession of this super important crossing. The fact that they're not bigger figures in Westeros is is very surprising to me. Yeah. Especially considering he seems pretty, like, politically savvy. Oh, so like he knew exactly how important it was that Rob cross this, the river at his crossing, and he knew how much he could get for it, which was like you said, a lot. Right. Yeah. To marry to the to the eldest son, or yeah, to the eldest son of the Starks, and a daughter like that is also a Stark. Like, that's a big deal. Right. Absolutely. Well, and I, I will say at that point we hadn't heard calls for Rob to be King of the North yet. And so it was just like, he was just a liege Lord. He wasn't like a King that they were trying to form this alliance with, but still the Starks are like the main family in the North. Like they are the wardens of the North. Yeah. And this is a big step up for the phrase. And so I think Walder it's Walder, right? Yes. Okay. Walder Frey is like so talented and gets such little credit for it. And I just want to see, I want to see Walder given his due. I want to see Walder get some credit because yeah, he's like a gross old man. I'll, I'll say that. Yeah, he is. But he's like kind of a badass. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair to say, I think. 
especially when he's talking to Catelyn Stark, he just like owns that situation so well. Oh yeah, like he he does so much better. Like I think this this that scene is from Catelyn's viewpoint, right? And she makes this like comment or thought to herself that makes her seem like such a good negotiator. Like I think she says something along the lines of like what would you give for me? And she said like, and then it's just bargaining. It's like he out bargained her so much. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, we do need to like keep coming back to the point that if they didn't cross the river, they would essentially lose river run and the whole, like all the river Lords would be lost to the Lannisters. So it was like, they had them in a super tight bind and they had a bunch of leverage. Right. But even so the amount that they got out of that deal. Ooh. It was a lot. Uh, I do have one point, though, that I would like to make. The battle between the Starks, like, northern army and the Lannisters with Tywin leading it, you know, the, like, diversion battle that happens. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it's overwhelmingly pitched in favor of the Lannisters. Like, it seems like it's a fairly close battle up until they, like, turn the tide. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like like before the battle, it could have gone either way. Right, exactly. And so it seems like if the price to cross the river was too high, Rob could have turned back and assisted his army and potentially defeated Tywin Lannister and the main Lannister force back across the river, seeing as how that battle like played out. I could be mis like underestimating the number of like soldiers that Rob had and also the phrase gave a bunch of soldiers right that's true but i mean they they should have fit in theory done that anyway though right which is the thing about this last bit of game of thrones is all of these like honor bound people and alliances we see how much they're actually worth when there is a conflict that's happening and things could change honor basically counts for like very little honor counts for a head on a pike essentially well, yeah which is which is why ned is the only one or like one of the only ones that we see that's like super honorably, I guess. And how it, how horribly it works out for him. <laughs> I don't remember if I talked to you about this last week, but just the scene with Varys and Ned in the prison cell where they're talking about the value of honor is like one of my favorite chapters in the whole book because it just perfectly lays out how like the honorable people are going to suffer and die because the honor doesn't really protect them. Right, yeah. I th- yeah, I think we covered that a little bit last week. Okay, if we're still, I think we should talk about the combat a little bit more. I'd like to talk a little bit more about the military action that's happened. And I just want to point out that Tywin Lannister is playing Risk, and he tried to hold Asia. (laughs) Okay, uh... I haven't played Risk in a while, so I don't know the details of holding Asian Asia specifically. Elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, so in Risk, if you possess a continent, so if you have control over an entire continent on the board, you get an additional troop bonus. And Asia is the largest troop bonus. You get seven extra troops every round if you control Asia. Okay, so a rookie risk player looks at that and says, oh, and the other the other continents are like five is North America and like two is Australia. So the other continents also give you a bonus, but Asia is by far the biggest. So a rookie player would look at Asia and say, okay, I just got to control Asia and I can dominate everybody just with a flood of troops. Okay. The problem with holding Asia is everybody knows that and Asia has like six access points so you're basically surrounded by all the other players as soon as you try and command asia and so all the other players are going to rise up against you as soon as you get one as soon as you're close to getting asia completely under your control and tywin lannister tried to take king's landing which i would argue gives you the most like authority and like sweep up through the middle of westeros essentially taking asia trying to get the most advantage quickly and as soon as he did that, all of the other players, you know, Stannis Baratheon, who is turtling in Australia, is like he's concerned about him rising up. Uh, he's concerned about the Starks, who are basically commanding North America from coming over through Alaska. And then you also have 
now Renly Baratheon, who has risen an army in Africa, coming over and just like removing your bonus. And so I just think Tywin Lannister has made the rookie mis- the rookie mistake of trying to hold Asia. And at the end of the book, we realize how foolish yeah. he's been. <laughs> yeah, he's he honestly like when I was reading it, I didn't really think about the strategies that much. It just seemed like the Lannisters were like overwhelmingly favored at the beginning. And then Rob does that move where he just like takes out a Lannister army and it's like, whoa, the Lannisters are screwed. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, and I think it also demonstrates. So if the Starks are, are a family of honor, the Lannisters are a family of gold. And so we see also how, like, Lannister gold only goes so far in the conflict as well, right? Like, as soon as the Lannisters appear to be losing, the people that they've bought are going to switch sides rather than be beheaded. Right, because they're just, they just own them through money, not any sense of, like, loyalty or anything. Yeah, exactly. And and so we see that when Rob attacks at the river, the, like, swords that the Lannisters bought switch sides because they're like, yeah, we don't want to die, so... <laughs> Yeah, they can pay us. That's fine. <laughs> and so it's interesting to see the conflict between like honor and money and what has power still and how both of them still have power and yet neither of them have power. Okay, I think we're getting a little too serious. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay, I'll, I'll take us down to something not serious. This is going to be kind of, I'm going to use one example, but there's a lot of them like this. There's a line, I think it's right before that battle that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. and it's like Tywin like meeting with his like generals I guess and planning something and this is this is the line it says on a hill overlooking the king's road a long trestle table of rough hewn pine had been erected beneath an elm tree and covered with golden cloth and then it's like they have like their evening meal there yeah yeah here's my point that sounds lovely <laughs> yeah that's a great picnic place like a lot of these situations in Game of Thrones, sound like just a delightful evening. <laughs> like that, a nice little dinner underneath a like nice tree on a hill with a great view, a nice table. Watch the sunset. Yeah. yeah. And, like, yeah. and then there's a another time uh, they talk about Hoster Tully who's about to die. And he likes to like sit on his castle and like look at the river. That's a good view. Like I'd do that. <laughs> I had this exact thought when they were talking about uh, Hoster Tully and how he likes to stand on the balcony and just watch the river go by and I was like man if when I retired like that's what I got to do that would be dope it sounds nice (laughs) it sounds so nice uh no definitely agree 100% and I mean I don't I don't know I'm sure there's a lot more times but just like I mean the idea of being on a castle and looking out on rivers (laughs) sounds pretty sweet (laughs) like we always talk pretty like about how the world of Game of Thrones is horrible but it's like I'd take a vacation to a lot of these places. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you have to think about the fact that, like, sure, they don't have your Instagrams or your Snapchats or running water for toilets. <laughs> but the views, though? The views? Pretty good. Up in the Eerie, basically that whole setting where they're talking about going into the Vale and climbing up to this, like, super tall peak and the view you get from the top, like... Yeah. (laughs) And there's, like, a waterfall that falls for, like, a mile. It's like, wow. (laughs) Like, wow, what a destination. (laughs) Do you think they have tourism in Westeros? Like, do you think peasants are like, I'm really saving up so I can go to to the Vale for this summer (laughs) harvest? I'm sure I'm sure they have tourism, but I don't know if it goes to like the the middle class slash lower class. Yeah. Okay. So then do you think they like advertise to the nobility like spend a pleasant evening in Dorne? I would think so. Hot sands, hot people. <laughs> Cause you know when the nobility comes they're spending a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Because like they mm-hmm. don't even know what money is. So I'd be I'd be trying to get people to come to my like well and like the Starks have like hot springs at yeah. their at their castle. <laughs> These are like luxury resorts. Yeah. Here's the thing. Uh you know how the Night's Watch is like super low on funds and everything? Oh my yes. Yes. Who doesn't want to go see a like 600 feet high wall of ice? Yes, Luke. 
this is how they rebrand. Yeah, if, okay, if there's, like, if Canada has, like, a giant ice wall that I can go on top of and see for, like, miles that's, like, hundreds of miles long. That cross, if Canada, if the U.S.-Canada border had an ice wall that crossed the, the entire border and went, like, a thousand feet high, you know I would pay to get on top of that. You could just own an elevator there and you would make bank. Oh, my gosh. Well, and, I mean, like, Tywin Lannister, or Tyrion Lannister also goes there for the view. Right. And his other purposes. But. <laughs> we, all, we know about that, yeah. <laughs> Explicitly, he goes for the view. So they definitely need to be rebranding this for, like, at least to get some funding, you know. Mm-hmm. Which, actually, how... How do they get funding at all, I'm thinking about now? I think maybe those, like, there's some towns around them that maybe, like, pay some kind of taxes or something like that. But, like, shouldn't the whole realm pay taxes if they're, like, supposed to be? You would think so, yeah. But you never hear of, like, King's Landing sending any funding to... That's a good point. (laughs) I mean, granted, you don't know anything about the economic and, like, taxation system in Westeros, and that's never explained at any point, but I'm just going to chalk that up to, like, there never being toilets explained either. <laughs> so I'm assuming they have toilets, but... They, they, they probably have some kind of tax system that goes, that goes to them. Okay. Yeah. I've got something that we might talk about for a while. It's a hot take. It's a very hot take. Do you, want to, do you have anything you want to say before it? No, I think I think we go with the hot take and then get ready because after that I think we're gonna do a couple theories. We're gonna oh, update nice. our theories. A Dan a theory. Bit. Okay, sweet. Okay, here we go. I'm gonna I'm gonna set this up for a little while. So, first off, there's a lot of chapters in this book that are like pretty average. I think, you know, and then there's like some chapters that are like amazing. So, okay, I'm gonna do a sports analogy. <laughs> you ready? <laughs> Hit me with it. There's there's sometimes when you're watching a sports game, like basketball, football, something like that, and like the star player or something is quiet and doesn't really do much, and then all of a sudden he has some play or like he scores like 20 points in like two minutes, and you're like, oh yeah, he's really freaking good. <laughs> okay. That's what I feel like happens occasionally in this book, and the one chapter I'm going to give this example of is... The chapter where they capture Jamie, capture Jamie Lannister, is amazing. If you read that that chapter closely, and it's a it's a chapter from Catelyn's perspective, and just like the writing for that chapter, and just like the situation is so good, and it just like reminded me that there's like there's some chapters that I kind of get mired down in, and then I read that one, and I'm like, whew. This guy's a good writer. Okay. Uh, I don't think this is a hot take. No, no, no. Okay, we haven't gotten to the hot take yet. Okay, well, first, I just want to say, like, yes, that chapter is incredible, and it's, like, up there with one of my favorite chapters in the entire book. Like, the suspense and the, like, yeah, excellent chapter. Okay, here we go. Moving on to the hot take. So I was reading, you know, kept reading, and this is probably my, I think I've read this book before this, like, two times, so this might be my my third read-through. And I've watched the show, so I know everything that happens. So I'm saying that with that perspective. Here's my hot take. The Catelyn chapters are the best. Oh, buddy. (laughs) How do you respond? All right. This is what I think you're... This is why I think you're saying the Catelyn chapters are the best. So I'm going to set up what I think your argument is. You're going to say the Catelyn chapters are the best because there's a lot that happens in the Catelyn chapters... It's just we don't necessarily, like, get all the upfront details, but they're revealed to us. Partially. Okay. My issue with that, am I... Okay, I think for the chapter when they're describing the the Battle of the Whispering Woods, I think that's really cool from Catelyn's perspective. But I think it would be way cooler for other chapters where there's, like, battle strategy that's going on to get it from Rob's perspective... Because he's, like, the one who's doing the battle strategy. So, like, there's all those chapters where Catelyn is, like, sitting in council with Rob. And Catelyn, like, speaks up and says, we shouldn't do it this way. We should do it this way. And everyone's like, eh, maybe. <laughs> right? But if, like, we got Rob's perspective of, like, 
imagine like Rob is a 16. No, Rob's like 14, right? Something like that. Yeah. Super young. And he's surrounded by these like huge lords who like have been in a bunch of wars and he has to like put on an air of, I know what the hell I'm talking about. Fair. Yeah. Fair. I'm just, okay. Here's, here's my argument. So when I, I think when I first read the book, oftentimes when I would get to a Catelyn chapter, I'd be like, dang it. Now I have to listen to like what she has to say again. But now Luke, you're part of the problem. (laughs) I just want to say you're part of the problem. Fair enough. But now a lot more happens in Catelyn's chapters than I thought, which is what you said. Granted, like a lot of it is her observing things happening. Mm -hmm. And I think so George writes chapters often from these people's viewpoints and he writes differently, I think, for each person. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Mm-hmm. And the way he writes Catelyn's chapters are, I think, super descriptive in, like, a very just well-written way. I, I know what you mean about maybe wanting certain events from different people's perspectives. But, okay, my, my argument is set up from the existing chapters. Catelyn's are the best. Because a lot of times, so you get like Tyrion's chapters where he's like, he makes some funny comments and stuff like that, but that's pretty much it. Yeah. And then you get other people's perspective where honestly, I think a lot of people's, like when you read their chapters, it's more just what's happening. And when you read Catelyn's chapters, it's like super descriptive. Uh, You get what she thinks and like, and granted what she thinks is often kind of (laughs) dumb. And like pretty annoying, but she just, I don't know how else to say it. Her, her, just the way he writes Catelyn's chapters are super well-written, I think, and better, more well-written than a lot of other people's chapters. Okay. Actually, so this is the second time I'm reading Game of Thrones. And actually, now that you say that and kind of how I think about the book, I think at times the book you could argue that the book is written as a collection of like pages of people's diaries. So maybe the reason we have Catelyn's perspective from those chapters is because we have like, like Catelyn is writing about her experience. And so sometimes I like to think of it. I like to think of it as the Arya chapters aren't like that because Arya is writing those chapters. Okay. Sure. And so Catelyn's chapters not only are about Catelyn and from Catelyn's perspective but through Catelyn's like voice and I think Catelyn of all the characters that we have perspectives of and have chapters titled about is would be the best writer like I think Catelyn and like the things that she observes makes her like an incredible writer and so I actually agree with you that the Catelyn chapters are the most well written of the entire of the book so far like i said there are a few chapters that really stand out for like the themes that they're talking about but just in terms of like language and like the beauty of the writing catlin chapters definitely by far stand out and i i would say that i think george has done that really masterfully in writing in such a way that potentially the character would have written that chapter especially for all these young characters like a lot of the descriptions are pretty yeah, like they seem like a very young narrator who's also writing the chapter. I don't think that's a hot take, Luke. Wow, I I thought that that was going to be a super hot take. So I only think it's a hot take because the stuff that actually happens, I would always get annoyed by in the Catelyn chapters because I always wanted to see the action rather than hear about it secondhand. Yeah. But as I've grown older and my palate has developed, <laughs> I think I really like hearing from that like secondhand perspective wow really um, really mature thank impressed. you thank you um hold on i just need to take a sip from my wine over here mm. good yeah. yes yeah yeah mature people just drink wine isn't that oh, another okay <laughs> i'm gonna move on from the hot take <laughs> and just briefly why do they always drink wine for everything like there's a scene where Daenerys wakes up and is like super frail and everything and like she's tired of getting like all these like 
potions or whatever. And she like sips it and she's like, oh, thank God it's wine. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, drink water. <laughs> Maybe some water would be good about now. Like you're really thirsty, right? Like alcohol is not what you need. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like you could count on one hand the number of times we've heard of people drinking water in this universe. And I will say like in the like medieval time period, it kind of makes sense because wine is like pretty safe to drink and water has probably had a bunch of like bacteria and stuff (laughs) in it. Cause you imagine even the nobles didn't really know how to get clean water. Like you just had to hope that the brook was not full of parasites. That's true. So like wine is definitely safe, but I will say if everybody is drinking wine all the time, you have to imagine their tolerance is super high to get drunk. So the fact that Robert Baratheon spent most of his kingship completely wasted when everybody already has super high tolerances is a tremendous feat, I would say. I would say it's impressive, the amount of alcohol that he had to consume to stay drunk consistently. Yeah, for sure. The The wine merchants in Westeros are just making bank. Oh, yeah. Okay, I actually want to talk a little bit about... So I want to talk about Daenerys and Drogo. Okay. Specifically, I want to talk about how quickly they trust this woman from the, like, sheep people that they conquer to care for Cal Drogo. Like, immediately they are on board with her doing whatever, with whatever weird god to Cal Drogo. Yeah, well, at least Daenerys definitely is, and then she convinces him, basically. Right. But the thing, the thing I don't buy and the thing I've been trying to figure out is they make Cal Drogo seem like kind of an idiot in this instance. And the reason why, or at least a weakling, which we know him neither to be an idiot or a weakling, because a big part of the... So Cal Drogo dies because he took off the like poultice and had like a soothing poultice put on. But if the argument there is that it hurt too bad, like this is Cal Drogo we're talking about. We're, we're going to say that Cal Drogo can't handle a little bit of pain to like heal from a battle wound. And that's why he was like, no, give me the soothing ointments. And so, this is Cal Drogo. This person who has like never been defeated in battle and is like super ferocious. Yeah, and when when he first gets hurt and she sees his like wound, she like is like, "Oh my gosh." And he's like, "Whatever, it's just a scratch." Yeah. Yeah. And he as they're like sewing it up, he doesn't scream. He like chokes it. He like chokes down a scream and is like super tough. And the healer woman is like, "Oh yeah, just like keep this on. It's going to hurt, but just like bear through the pain." or else like bad thing you can tell or else bad things will happen is what she says and if you're cal drogo you're gonna be like whatever pain is weakness leaving the body or whatever <laughs> right. it is. you know what i mean like yeah he would definitely yeah um i took it as almost kind of a they were still suspicious of her and but but i i don't think it holds up super well like that they're suspicious of her and like she gives him something that hurts mm-hmm. i mean but that again may, paints him as an idiot and he's not an idiot Right, exactly. Like, Cal Drogo is the leader of this huge call, and and they already are aware of the fact that, like, some healing hurts. Like, they talk about the eunuchs who heal with fire and scalpel. Right. Yeah, we're already aware of the fact that sometimes it hurts to, like, get better. And, like, I'm sure Cal Drogo has had battle scars before. Like, I can guarantee he's been injured badly before. And the the, like, replacement that he puts on, I get the picture of it just being wet mud. Like, I think that she's, like, it was, like, wet and soothing, and it was, like, a mud, like. So he replaced this, like, super nice bandage that, like, hurt a little bit, but, like, was probably working, like, and probably pretty obviously working to just, like, slap some mud on his wound. He was like, oh, that feels nice. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like, let me throw some wet dirt on this open wound. <laughs> Which I guess, okay, maybe... Maybe we're giving too much credit to Cal Drogo's experience, right? Maybe he hasn't had a super bad injury before. So he's never been defeated in battle. Right. Sure, he's had a lot of battles. Maybe he hasn't been hurt badly. And he doesn't know that, like, the process of healing hurts, right? Yeah. Because, like, 
and that doesn't make him an idiot necessarily. It just means like, oh, he's never, he's never experienced. Maybe he thinks this is wrong. I think the odds of that, the odds of that are super low. Yeah, because there's no way someone has not gotten like a decent little cut or something like that. Yeah, um, I'm just trying to justify the fact that Cal Drogo looks like an idiot, <laughs> a weak idiot here, and it seems unfair to Cal. The other thing, just like brief aside about that scene where the demon lady is bringing Cal Drogo back from the dead, maybe just like a do not disturb sign <laughs> could have been super helpful. You would think that the like demons dancing within the tent would be enough, but like she specifically told the Khaleesi no one was to enter. And clearly no one should enter. <laughs> Right. Maybe just put up a sign real quick that's like, yeah, don't, definitely don't come in. A lot of things that, like, should be, that you would think someone would just, like, explain out in the open are not explained out in the open. Like, when she says, you have to have a life to pay for death, and she's like, my life? She's like, no. Whose freaking life? (laughs) Oh, I'll assume it's this horse? Yeah. Totally fine. (laughs) No, I think, and they're all the Daenerys scenes. Like, all the Daenerys scenes, things are assumed that could totally be explained like just a follow-up question yeah right right or maybe Daenerys didn't explain to the cowl that if he took off the poultice it would be bad but like why yeah (laughs) what i (sighs) yeah i don't and why was she not with like if she's the one responsible for healing him why is she just like putting on something and then she's gone for like two weeks <laughs> like keep her with him the, oh yeah the healer lady yeah <laughs> right and she's your slave Daenerys like you can make her do whatever you want make her just like ride next to Cal Drogo you already trust her enough to like let her get her fingers all up in his chest wound yeah and bring him back to life and birth your son <laughs> he could stay a little he could he could stay close to you <laughs> Right, which, like, I guess, like, Cal Drogo does his own... Like, Cal Drogo is his own man. If we can say one thing about Cal Drogo... He's a strong, independent man. He's a strong, independent man. So, obviously, you have to get you have to get his consent for that, too. And he probably... Knowing Cal Drogo, he probably wouldn't have been, like, cool with a woman hanging out. Yeah, especially with his super intense blood rider who, like, freaking hates her. Which, apparently, is fair. <laughs> oh, super fair. Which I was kind of hoping it would be, like... Oh, it turns out she's cool and she's not a like demon witch. But no, she was like definitely a demon witch. And these like backwards horse people, their culture happened to be right in this instance of like, no, we definitely shouldn't trust demon witches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like blood magic is a no go. The guy that's super like barbarian and like crazy and super, I don't know, brutal <laughs> or whatever turned out to be right <laughs> in this case. Like you should have listened to him. Not super rational or logical. He's just like, uh no fuck fuck blood magic we're not doing that <laughs> it's like but how do you even know this is blood no 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 no. we're not doing that <laughs> yeah there's a couple times where the uh, dothraki people have some like i guess we would call it superstition or something yeah or like cultural tradition or whatever right. it is and like obviously it looks super super ridiculous like of course not and they say like it is known or something like that yeah yeah Here's the thing about, I think I've made this point before. This is a fantasy novel. They could be right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like there's a, I think there's one story where they talk about like the moon is like a dragon egg. And Uh, I don't think this is the, maybe this is the Dothraki. Yeah, I think it is. Okay. Where they they come up with that story or that story. And you're like, that's freaking stupid. Of course, it's, of course, the moon's (laughs) not a dragon egg. That, like, when it bursts, the dragons will come back. But, like, maybe it is. <laughs> but you don't know. <laughs> That's so true. Well, they, there's also that, that scene where they're talking about the ghost grass that is going to eventually overtake the whole of the world, basically. And that also seemed very superstitious to me. And, like, the spirits of dead people, like, haunt the ghost grass as well. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. Uh, end of the world thing but yeah maybe they know maybe they're the ones who are like super aware of the fact that like oh yeah ghost grass is definitely gonna take yeah. over and well there's also that part kind of at the end when daenerys does her like walking into the fire move mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where she like you know 
there's that that superstition where when you burn the body of like the cow he you see whichever star is the brightest is him and then like right then she sees like that red comet yeah it's like it's probably not but this is a fantasy world maybe it is him (laughs) right and she sees him like riding on a horse like a flaming horse which like you go on your night ride with your with the great call or whatever when you die and she sees him on like a horse in the flames like right getting ready to ride and it's like hold on <laughs> yeah the death act might might have something here <laughs> and like we already saw that like blood magic kind of exists like there is a supernatural element to the world that we've just witnessed with the um i mean the others were kind of supernatural but they weren't like they could have been explained away as like a biological phenomenon or something but we've clearly seen like blood magic happen we know that there is some supernatural stuff going on now yeah so yeah maybe maybe the other actually you're right <laughs> they could be <laughs> for sure uh <laughs> i did say we were gonna i said we were gonna go to theories and i know we we didn't we had an extended hot take i guess um but we need to get into some theories okay let's do it the first one is we need to add a little addendum to the flat westeros uh theory um by addendum do you mean to change the theory or no i guess we need to add some ancillary evidence we need to add okay there's yet to be anything that disproves flat westeros and we have a little bit more evidence that it might be correct and this comes from the chapter when bran is describing all the old kings of winterfell and the kings of the north and he gets to king brandon stark who uh, when he's telling the story of King Brandon Stark, this is a man who loved to sail. And this Stark king took a whole bunch of northerners into this giant fleet and sailed off to the west, never to return again. <laughs> so, so the implication that you're making is he fell off the end of the world. Yes. He was never seen or heard from or there is no word of him and this giant fleet ever again and westeros on all the maps that we have westeros is the furthest west continent Mm -hmm. and you would i mean were were he to have found something Mm -hmm. like his purpose of setting out is to find something and come back exactly were he to have found something he would have come back yes so it's either i think the argument is either he fell off the edge of the world Uh uh-huh or something just happened and all his ships were lost but he it says he brings like a whole fleet yeah this is the largest fleet from the north like this is a big fleet right yeah so i find it unlikely that all of them are just like go down in some storm right like christopher columbus did it with three ships okay (laughs) good point (laughs) like the vikings did it before christopher columbus with like canoes basically so so he's fallen off the edge of that world. He's definitely fallen off the edge of the earth, of the Westeros. I think, so we've come up with a lot of evidence for Flat Earth Theory, and honestly, no real direct evidence against it. So I think, I think or, okay, I think the evidence for Flat Westeros is stronger than the evidence against it. Yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah, I I have seen, yeah, I've seen no evidence for a spherical planet that they're on. Absolutely none exactly yeah so and we we covered this theory more in i think our first two episodes of game of thrones yeah definitely so if you have more evidence to add to this theory go ahead and tweet at us that's at dc it bc uh using the hashtag flat westeros if you think you can prove us wrong go ahead and try but i don't think it's likely good luck and 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 keep in mind this is only we've only read on this podcast through game of thrones the first book right so we're we're not going to be accepting evidence yet from future song of ice and fire books right but when we get to them let it fly let that evidence fly yeah come (laughs) at us bro okay and and then i'd like to talk a little bit about the other theory that we've been cooking up and that's the theory that Tyrion is an incredible fighter potentially spy assassin who is seeking the downfall of westeros well we're not sure about his motives but that he's secretly a extremely adept fighter and is amassing power to himself for some unknown reason right okay so in the last 
chapters that we read, there was that big climactic battle between the forces of the North and the forces of the Lannisters. And Tywin Lannister takes Tyrion and all of Tyrion's forces, which are the clans of from the Vale, and has them covering the vanguard of his army. Basically, the role of the vanguard is to prevent the main body, the main forces, from being surrounded, from being flanked. Okay? And so the the vanguard is, like, pretty important. And if the vanguard collapses, then your main body of your forces are going to be flanked and you're going to be in a really bad strategic position. So you want your vanguard to be fairly robust. You want them to be able to hold out for a good amount of time. Right. Okay. So, and Tywin Lannister is also described as a brilliant tactician, like one of the most brilliant strategists in all of Westeros. So he's aware of this fact. And so he chooses to send his what would be perceived as physically not capable son and this band of clans that like don't have any discipline that don't seem like a fighting force to cover his vanguard this on its face seems like a really bad move right it seems very dumb i think tywin knows more than we think uh, he does. So you think Tyron, Tywin is aware that Tyrion has been like honing his battle skills in secret? That is precisely what I think. And in fact, I think Tywin is one of the only people in Westeros who knows Tyrion is actually a, a really adept fighter and commander. And this is kind of a form of like tough love. So everything Tywin does to Tyrion is trying to toughen him up. Oh like oh like so like so like Tywin is kind of on Tyrion's side here where he's trying to like get him more experience. Yes. Tywin is like even even the instances where Tywin is like mocking him in front of other people and stuff, like I think Tywin is like showing a bit of like tough love to Tyrion and is just trying to like make him stronger. Okay. I like it. And so this is the ultimate representation of that and this is where we see kind of like a break in the desire to not only conceal the fact that his son is this super adept fighter, but also the like strategy on its face doesn't seem super great. And so at this critical point where he has to make a decision between strategy or keeping this concealed from the rest of Westeros, Tywin decides like it's more important that I have a super adept fighter and commander on my vanguard protecting it from the forces of the north then i keep this concealed that Tyrion is this great fighter and yeah and you see i so i i don't think he's also if that's true i don't think he's sure about it mm, oh maybe this is a test yeah because you also see he has that backup plan where if that van that side of the vanguard is to fall like they'll he's got his reserves yeah in theory that's a kind of a trap where that vanguard falls and then his army sweeps in because they're in like a perfect position, but it turns out Tyrion like kills it and it works out even better. So yeah, I think it was, I think it's like a kind of a win-win situation for Tywin where he's like, if Tyrion kills it, then like, you know, he's, he knows some stuff. If he doesn't like, you know, my, he'll, he'll now be kind of like, I'll know that he's not super great and he's out of my way now and I can still crush this army. (laughs) Right. Yeah, that's actually a good point. So so either he knows Tyrion is like a dope fighter and sends him over there to cover his flank, or he's like testing it out because he's definitely a shrewd mind. Like he's definitely somebody who's trying to figure stuff out all the time. Yeah, and and you see later on when after that, Tywin like kind of sneakily gains some respect for Tyrion. Yeah. And like wants him to cover for him in King's Landing. So So I think it was a test. I now that you mentioned that I think that's right so yes I think that was a test and and I mean Tyrion chalks that up to Tywin thinking Jaime Lannister is basically good as dead at this point but that's just what like Tyrion tells us and that's what Tyrion maybe thinks so maybe Tyrion doesn't know that his father is aware of his like abilities yet 
But I think the reason why Tywin is like giving him this like brief moment of praise is because he's like, oh, my son's like kind of dope. My son's like super cool. Yeah, for sure. And and you see more evidence for him just wanting more power on him. You always see when he talks about his like mountain clans, he always wants to keep them close to him. So like I think I think our conversation about him kind of like building an army almost was maybe on the right track a little bit. Like I don't know if he has a plan for them, but he likes having like soldiers that are like at his call. Definitely. And he's like very hesitant to yeah, he's definitely hesitant to have them taken out of like off of his command for sure. And he's like pretty upset about the fact that he's going to be working underneath the mountain who rides. Like he during the battle, he was like put under the command of the sorry, air quotes under the command of the mountain that rides. However, we haven't really been given very much information about the mountains like tactical abilities. And in fact, I would think that he's not that clever because like he seems to be outsmarted a lot. Right. Like during the tournament, he's outsmarted. Uh, He seems just like the stereotypical brawn over brains kind of figure. And so I think that still bolsters the fact that Tywin is trying to figure out if Tyrion would make a good commander by putting him over there. In addition to that, just like quickly more about the Tyrion theory, the battle that Tyrion takes place in he kind of crushes it again. Yeah, he does pretty well. Like way, way, way better than if, if okay, if every evidence of him not being a good fighter were to be believed, he would not do this well. No. Because like, because like in theory, he's like barely ever held like a sword or anything before. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and he captures a knight. Like he captures somebody who is like a pretty prominent figure and has them surrender to him. He has like great, he has like super good battle instincts. I would say. And like there's there's also one part where like some swordsman or something like jabs at him and it would have hit him, but he like really quickly like knocks it away. Like that's hard to do. Right. Right. Well, and the other thing about it is there are like hundreds of other people who are like not dwarves who are fighting who just die. There are tons of other people who die immediately. And the fact that Tyrion not only doesn't die immediately, but takes out like several people who are not dwarves. And, and he's wearing like armor and the giant shield and he's all, he's constantly complaining about like barely being able to walk and you're going to be carrying around like, I don't know how much armor weighs, but it's a lot, (laughs) a lot. And it's mismatched too. This is not armor that like fits him well. Yeah. But he's still, he, yeah, he's wearing horribly matching armor that's super heavy, a giant shield, and he still does well in this battle. Like there's no way he's like some inexperienced little scrub yeah Tyrion's hiding his fighting ability Tyrion's a superhero well maybe not hero oh yeah we'll see what his motives are as time goes on we'll see what Tyrion wants to do uh but I mean if you want to get put in a position of power he has just gotten put like he is now basically on the small council like he's going to King's Landing to command the king to quote rule yes so he's 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 doing pretty well yeah so yeah, where we're going to leave Tyrion in this book is in a newfound, very prominent position of power. Yeah. Now, the only question left is, what is he going to do with it? <laughs> Good point. Okay, we've been we've been surprisingly serious this episode. You know, like I feel like most of our episodes are pretty dumb. This is pretty serious. I want to. I want to. Uh... <laughs> you want to dumb it up? I'm going to dumb it up. Luke, dumb it up for us. I need. I think we need it. There's one part. This is going to be very small and insignificant. There's one part, uh, well, okay, in general, we get a lot, often people are described by their smell, like we get, like, he smelled, like, blank, and it's it's usually, like, something super cool, like, like, something super manly, it's like, he smelled, like, leather and steel, or something like that, you're like, dude, I want to freaking smell, like, leather and steel, that sounds awesome, (laughs) and then, and then, let me read you uh, the way that Drogo is described at one point, I don't know if you noticed this, this is, this. <laughs> she says, Drogo smelled like grass, warm earth, smoke, and semen and horses. <laughs> yes, one I of remember those, that so vividly. One of those is not like the others. <laughs> like, there's so many times, like, like I said, there, where, where they describe people by their smell and it's super cool. Yeah. And it's like, dang, yeah. I smell like that. Not this time. <laughs> nope. Yeah, all of those are cool except when she gets to semen, and it's like, whoa, hold up. And then, yeah, she follows that up with, it smelled like Drogo. 
like gross. <laughs> like, hold on. Because you all, like, okay, I get the fact that they're trying to say, like, yeah, they have sex. Nice. But, like, if he smells like semen, there's something, you're doing something wrong, I think. It's it's not a good smell. And it's just a weird thing to throw in. Like, he didn't have to say semen. Or George didn't have to write semen there. <laughs> It's not like he was like, it's not like he was like, I really don't want to say that he smelled like semen, but he like really does. He doesn't have to. <laughs> no, but wait, Luke, maybe George did say he smelled like semen. Mm-hmm. Why would Cal Drogo smell like semen? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> when was this, when was this, descri- this description happened like right before they burned him? Yeah, he was like comatose. Yeah. And he smelled like semen. Are you going somewhere with this or <laughs> so like this is after he was like brought back from the dead and he was just kind of sitting staring at the sun, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. Maybe he wasn't just like laying there <laughs> staring at the sun. Like maybe there were some details that were omitted about what Cal Drogo was like doing outside. Sure. Are you going Are you going where I think you're going with this? I mean, okay. Let me just be, like, I'm trying to explain the fact that he smelled like semen, okay? Right, because he does, and it needs explaining. Because he does, and it needs explaining. Okay, the semen had to come from somewhere. I mean, the okay, the counter-argument to this is, like, he can just smell like it and not have it on him. Okay, but, like, then the, then mm-hmm. that means, then that means Cal Drogo always smells like semen. Yeah, because she, cause, cause she says... It smelled like Drogo. She wasn't like, what? Why does he smell like semen? Oh, this is weird. <laughs> this is the... Cal Drogo has always smelled like semen, and this is the first time we are being told he smelled like semen. <laughs> it's kind of a red flag. <laughs> Which, like, maybe everybody in the cow smells like semen? Maybe? May- I mean, maybe. Like, if someone's going to but... smell like that, it's going to be the Dothraki, probably. <laughs> Oh, look, that's racist. (laughs) My bad, yeah. I apologize. Honestly, though, if you were Jorah and you encountered these people that everybody smelled like semen, I think you'd call it quits. I, yeah, probably. I think I would. I'd be like, done. I don't know why they smell like cum, but like, I'm out of (laughs) here. This is not a culture I want to be part of. (laughs) Because in theory, they bathe just as much as most people do, right? Like, because most people don't bathe, but you always hear about, like, well, maybe not. You always hear about Daenerys bathing a lot, but maybe Cal Drogo doesn't necessarily. Yeah, I mean, I think the wealthy people in the call probably do. Like, I think Cal Drogo probably bathes more than the average person. But, like, she described this smell after she had bathed him. Right, yeah, that's true. Like, she just cleaned him up and was like, hmm, that's that normal, that's that. That's that typical Cal Drogo smell, semen. <laughs> classic, classic Drogo. So, okay, let's 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 move on from that. <laughs> okay, I just want to give a, a shout out to George R. R. Martin. Uh, shouts out to George. You made the names in this book surprisingly easy to pronounce, and you're the way that you did that was just adding a letter to a normal name. And this has been hit on a lot already. This is already like a lot of people have talked about this, so I don't want to dwell on it for too long but george unlocked the secret to fantasy names that are easy to pronounce and it's just it's just take a normal name and add a letter it's nice it's nice isn't it's it? super nice we have had very little uh trouble figuring out how to pronounce people's names because they're easy to pronounce so <laughs> shouts out to you george you did a good job with the names i really appreciate it good stuff george okay um let's do a little just like how we did at the end of Elantris, where we just kind of talk about where, like, how we would rate the book and that kind of thing. So I want to first say, again, this is my like third read through almost, I think, and it was obviously it's I, obviously I think it's a really good book. The but I do I think the last ten chapters are like head and shoulders above the rest of the book, though. I don't know if you agree with me on that. Like I like the rest of the book is super good. But the last 10 chapters are incredible. Yes. Okay. I agree with you. My only complaint 
so I do I actually have a complaint about the last 10 chapters and it feels very much like it's built I don't want to say it feels commercial but it feels very much like a cliffhanger like it feels very much like George wrote those as the last 10 or and it could have been his editor too but like they were specifically chosen as the last 10 because so much happens and like there's about to be this crazy thing that happens in the world of Westeros that we have to wait for the next book to come out and it's like so many things it's like Rob's the king of the north the dragons are now like out and roaming around Tyrion is gonna go rule in King's Landing like there's so many cliffhangers that you're like well, how does this... Yeah, you're like, now this is finally... Okay, so I, I do think it's the book is super long and it's very detailed to the point where like not a ton is happening over like a long period of time. So it's not like a lot of other books. And then all of a sudden in the last 10... Cha- that's, that might be why I'm saying this. The last 10 chapters, just like so many things happen, like dragons. You all of a sudden are like, dang, finally this book is going to get it like things are going to start happening like fast. I don't know if that's that will be the case in the second book. I don't I don't know if it will. I don't know when we're going to do the second book, but that's what it seems like. Yeah, I definitely agree. It really like ramps up in the action at the end and it's like it's been building to this for the entire time. But so I actually wasn't too annoyed or like I kind of liked the build and the fact that it was a slow build. I think for the same reason why I like the fact that, like, the description of Hoster Tully just, like, watching the river go by, like, it's kind of, like, soothing in a way. It's kind of, like, you don't have all this stuff constantly happening all at once, and it's, like, a slow build. And it felt a lot more, like, real in that sense. It felt more like real life because there wasn't always something crazy happening, but there's still, like, an overarching, like, movement. Like, everything's moving in a direction, but it's not necessarily, like, careening down a hill just yet like there are these periods of like relative tranquility that i think are like kind of nice that's fair so i actually like didn't mind those bits at all yeah that's fair but so in the grand scheme like i think i mean everybody knows this this is a super good book (laughs) like i don't know how how much ground we're gonna break on rating this book but game of thrones is great i know at the the beginning of our pod the first episode of our podcast i said uh the show is better <laughs> uh-huh and then and, and then, then um the show's super good uh the books are super good yeah definitely super good yeah <laughs> yeah if you have friends that haven't read this book but watch the show definitely recommend that they read this book especially if you have friends who say that they don't really like reading very much because there are a lot of people that don't like to read for fun I think this book is like pretty like engaging. Yeah, there's not a lot of action that happens, but it's not like a typical high fantasy book. Right. And it doesn't it doesn't feel like there's a lot of fantasy books that feel kind of just like I don't know, stupid to be reading. It doesn't feel like that at all. No. No, definitely not. And I think part of that is because George doesn't throw a lot of like lore at you all at once and there's not a lot of like huge backstory and there's not a lot of like names that are really difficult to pronounce again shouts out to George (laughs) Um, and and I think that really makes it accessible for a lot of people who don't read a lot of fantasy books yeah so I definitely agree with you there for sure okay so I think we're, we're not going straight into the next book I don't know when we'll do it. I'm sure we will do the next game of, or the next A Song of Ice and Fire book at some point. But this concludes our discussion of Game of Thrones. Uh, next episode, we will cover the novella uh, The Emperor's Soul by Brandon Sanderson. That's a short story in the world of Elantris. Uh, so that's actually just going to be one episode over that whole story. But I hope you guys tune in to hear it. I think I've read it before. I don't, Dan, you have not read that before yet. Right? Oh, yeah. Okay. So this is one I have not read before. So we'll be coming at you with some more predictions. We'll be bringing that back, which I'm pretty excited about. Well, I don't, you, well, okay. We're doing the whole book in one episode. So I don't think you'll be able to do pr- predictions. Dang it. All right. Well, no predictions the next time, but maybe the next time we'll have predictions. For sure. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can predict, you like, I think he might be making more like stories in the and there's another there's another novella in 
the Elantris where I don't think it concerns Impersol, but you can do like predictions on maybe he'll write something else. Right. Well, and also like the those books both happen in the Cosmere universe, so I could make larger predictions about what's happening in the right, Cosmere. Right, true. And you have not read any more of the Cosmere past Elantris. Right. Yeah, the only Cosmere that I've read is just Elantris so far. So yeah. So hopefully you guys will listen to that episode. I'm mean, I'm sure it's going to be super good cuz you know like we're super good. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm not super confident about that, but uh <laughs> just hey, how about this? How about you stay tuned for some more hot takes and dumb nerds. Yeah.